Hello Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 42 and this time we're rolling on the encounter table, drawing from the tension deck and picking up campaign path tokens as we explore Raccoon City in Steamforge Games' Resident Evil 3 The Board Game. My name is Cy and joining me around the table this week, he's a resourceful podcast veteran and his accent drives all the listeners wild. Hey up, it's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello everybody. <laughs> a supervisor in the RE board game community and first aid spray discord, his concealed supplies mostly consist of a drawer full of unpainted and unfinished miniatures. From itchy painty, it's Michael Burger time early. So called out right now. <laughs> and repositioning himself away from a last escape back into a normal, boring day job and instead digging his heels in further as the mastermind of Resident Evil board game development from Steamforge Games, it's the lead designer of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 the board games, Showin Matthews. Alright, guys. If you got all of those references, then good job. You've been paying attention to cards, certain particular cards. Uh, this episode of First Aid Spray, like all others, was recorded live on our Discord server. Enter our little world of survival horror now to hear the show early and unedited, as well as join our wonderful community and keep up to date with all of the latest news. You can find a link to the server, as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. You can also help the show by checking out our merch or by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month with various tiers, each with their own perks. Head over to patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for a full list and the chance to create bonus first aid spray content. So at the top, thank you to our latest Patreons. Thank you to them, 411, and thank you to Ferdinand van der Haak. Uh, thank you both and thank you everyone uh, for your continued support of first aid spray. It helps keep the light on and it drives those numbers up. Uh, cards on the table our social media goals were probably a little bit loftier so it's we haven't actually hit any and pushed in past anything uh recently but we have dropped a new bonus episode nonetheless uh just because we're all very very hyped for metroid dread so to celebrate the 25th anniversary of super metroid we sat down and talked very highly of that game so if you want to hear us discuss super metroid that is patreon exclusive uh, for a little while longer before it becomes too public as is everything we do if you are a tyrant level backer you get it about a month before everyone else including our youtube videos which you'll get about a week before everyone else including our 16 minute essay that i wrote uh, resident evil the next generation where i looked at what i think needs to happen in terms of the cast of resident evil sort of moving forward it's very much an opinion piece uh, so don't get mad at me but do check it out if you're curious about that and me sort of rambling about sherry birkin for about 15 minutes <laughs> um, we got some stuff coming up uh, very soon as well so keep your eyes open on youtube make sure you subscribe and all that jazz otherwise let's roll into some rather exciting recently breaking biohazard news so if you're even remotely in the Resident Evil news sphere, your first bit of news should be very well known to you. The first official shots from the Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City have now been revealed. The uh, the new movie by Johannes Roberts. That's right. So again, it's all, it, it never hurts to sort of clarify what project this is because there's obviously been so much going on. This is not the Wesker Children, uh, the Lance Reddick Netflix show. This is the live action film. That is adapted from Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2, which we knew anyway, but now it's obviously very, very clear with the three pictures that dropped. Uh, you've got Leon and Claire, I guess, in the police basement or maybe the sewer, somewhere underground. 
Uh, you've got Chris, Jill, Wesker and Richard Aiken in the foyer of the Spencer Mansion and a rather gruesome picture of uh, Lisa Trevor. Steve, what are your sort of first reaction to these screenshots? Honestly, okay, cool. Uh, you know, it, it, it is fine. The, the only thing that really stands out to me is like Lisa Trevor is already creeping me out just with the hair bleeding through one of the eye holes on her mm. skin yeah. mask. Um, the characters look fine to me. I know a lot of people are upset about certain costume changes and the, shall we say, quote-unquote, quality of the costumes, but I think they're okay. They look all in keeping with the aesthetics they're trying to provide. Jill looks a bit more, if stars had a defined uniform, more on beat than the rest of them now. Mm-hmm. She used to have yeah. like the unique you know, beret and shoulder guards, which don't quite mesh up what everyone else wears. So that's right. fine by me. But people will get angry because it's the internet. <laughs> yeah. Right, because you can you can kind of see that she and Wesker are wearing the same outfit. Yeah, um, or or at least they're wearing something a bit more straightforward. Yeah, uh, I like it. Uh, the some of these are obviously like early set photos. There's not any post production happening yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I it makes me excited. Uh, I find myself wondering like how they're going to tell both stories at once. I'm interested to see how they handle that. Right. Is it going to take place on the same night? Do we know? Is there like, any story? I, I think so. I mean, it's definitely been hinted at that sort of two stories are going to connect together at the end, I think. Um, but then again, I've read so many random theories and opinions that maybe I'm misquoting that. But, uh, you know, if that's not been said, it is my belief, I think, that we're going to get one squad of characters uh, going through the mansion and then another squad that's going through the Assault on Precinct 13 style RPD section, uh, as it has been said. Uh, yeah, I mean, so Leon and Effie Stone, they're going to be fine. You know, no, <laughs> yeah. no one messes with Effie if you've watched Skins. Uh, you know I, exactly what I mean. Um, I'm excited. the The costumes look functional mm-hmm. too. I was just thinking that they look like clothing. They look like something you'd wear if you needed to be comfortable, but also need to be prepared. And this is kind of like they're hiking. They're the, you know, I could see I could see people wearing this costume. Right. Yeah. It, it's your functional is a good word for it for sure. I mean, you know, it doesn't look miles and away i don't remember what the first image is of course from the uh, anderson film was but uh you know everyone's entitled to their opinion and i get where a lot of those opinions are coming from but at least with this this looks closer to the kind of thing that people mm-hmm. have been asking for for the longest time you know this is clearly an adaption of the games whether or not that works trying to adapt two stories at once i don't know uh Sherwin, have you seen these photos what do you make of this yeah, I have. It's um I think much like everybody, I'm I'm curious of how they're gonna combine two story arcs into you know, forgetting anything in terms of canon of time differences and that sort of right. stuff. I'm I'm intrigued to see how they're gonna cohesively tie those two quite large um story arcs together mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't just feel like it's just really seriously lacking in something. Um yeah. so I, I can easily see uh, it's obviously difficult to translate meandering, you know, pathways through a mansion or through a police station or whatever. Trying to, you know, you can't have a movie which is exactly the same experience as walking through a mansion because so much mm. of it is going to be you walking around quietly, occasionally killing a zombie, right? Mm. But at the same time, there's like surely the movie would be better served to kind of zoom in on one of those instances, then make another movie which is the other part. And if you need to tie them together, maybe do that in the third one, in a third movie or something. But right. I don't know. It's just it's a very interesting decision. I I could see if you're my spitball ideas, I could see kind of the mansion section being a flashback that happens yeah. at some point, and then so they my, kind of you know, 
they bump my, into somebody and then that sort of stuff who knows my thought to i, I think along the same lines um my 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 brain goes to the movie taking place in raccoon city and like right away chris finds you know sorry claire finds chris's journal and she like reads about the mansion incident where he goes into right. detail and that's what these scenes are sure i could see something like that you know certainly interspersed and one is actually taking place in the past and we've got more of a focus on one i think personally i i completely agree i think we should have just had resident evil one but i think with this huge success remake two uh this was probably always going to be on the cards you know that's been the big game uh but as you said showing like it's it's difficult to know how this is going to work because there's a lot of moving parts in those stories separately you know even in re2 you've got to deal with and we talked about this when we did the book club recently you know you've got to give the right amount of uh, attention to stuff like tyrant and birkin as well you know both sort of stalking creatures and everything else and all the characters and then on top of that you got re1 stuff you know are we going to get you know the original tyrant are we gonna we've got lisa trevor we know that you know so it, we have no idea what's going to get sort of cut or moved around from each story why do want to highlight before we move on at least is that uh and this is just director speaking director but if you read uh johannes roberts sort of interview piece with ign which is how these photos came out he's saying a lot of things right (laughs) for one thing for those people uh who may be worried about the way that certain characters look um he talks about sort of less just basically trying to find an actor that looks like the character and putting them on screen and hoping that it works so much as trying to find a character that sort of embodies the energy, uh, an actor that embodies the energy of the character, which is most certainly the way to go. I think for one thing that says he understands the characters more than just like from a visual point of view. Uh, you know, Leon is not just floppy haired dude in, in a cop outfit. Um, he talks in the interview about how Leon is going through this day, sort of strung out and hung over, which is obviously technically part of the canon and stuff like that and uh, how that actor really brought that mood so that's really good as well Um, and he talked a lot about sort of practical uh, effects and stuff like that and how to the thing that really got me was talking about how to sort of highlight creatures we're not going to be bouncing around from action scene to action scene Um, he really wants to dwell on sort of uh, the horror of each individual creature and zombie and stuff like that you know he cites films like the thing as kind of inspiration for that um, and, and really give them um the spotlight that they deserve so uh, you know that's that's quite exciting to hear you know that that makes me pretty interested to see this film you know it might be a car wreck but so far it could be a good looking one right yeah you know, it, he- so far it might be a fun one <laughs> I mean, yeah. they've hinted at the, the obviously Birkin's going to be in it, and we've seen Lisa Trevor, mm-hmm. and I, I, a lot of people are a bit not sold on her design, but I think they've kind of seen it as that's her face looking at the camera when it's just a face that's been attached to the side right. of the head. Um, I want to see what they'll do with Birkin. Genuinely, I, I looking at uh, looking at Lisa in that one screenshot has got me excited to see if the, if we see G Birkin. I want to see how they you know approach that. Yeah. But, but I more mean, importantly, I want to see if these incidences are going on at the same time. If in a building not too far away from the mansion, there is a magical elevator <laughs> with a tram to unite <laughs> our characters into one final battle and therefore make half the community lose their... <laughs> Sorry. Resident Evil needs a tram of some kind or a cable car, so yep. <laughs> it's shed four. The interesting <laughs> point will be whether Birkin makes it. I'm not sure... 
if you're putting those two games together, all those two story arcs together, that something has can't stay. But like, you can't have two big bads. Right. I don't know. You can have a. I don't know. You can have a T zero zero two Tyrant and a William Birkin and a, and a T one o three. Yeah, I, I don't think, think you're I, gonna get the the, the yeah. RE one Tyrant. You're definitely gonna get Birkin in there. He's yeah. been cast. Whether or not he turns into a monster, or, you know, maybe that's not right. a thing. But if that's the case, then that's kind of weird because you've got a Sherry in there. So it's still so much we don't know. Um, and the film is out in something like what are we? two and a bit months three you know maybe yeah, just about yeah. three months it's not far away now so i think yeah. we'll get a clearer picture soon because i think they're putting these photos out to start building the hype before a trailer is probably going to come i would say in a th three or four weeks yeah um uh, i'm i'm here for it i'm excited uh i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it i am channeling the same level of excitement i had for the very original Resident Evil movie, before we knew anything about it, mm -hmm. as in, I'm looking forward to it as a fan and going, Do you know what? This is going to be cool. I'm going to go see this movie and I'm going to make, you know, I'll make up my mind watching it, but I don't care because I love Resident Evil. Yes. And that's literally it. For me, it's like basically to hit a reset button and start again. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. the, that's I'm looking at it. That's a, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm here. I, I feel the same way. I was so disappointed at the end of that movie. So. How how healthy are we all? Are we all feeling okay? Because just in case, Capcom are now selling green and red herbs. From the, yeah, I believe right. it's their Japanese store. They're selling actual merchandise, stationery, and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do like slipping in the little stupid fluff stories these days, don't I? But nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can yeah. buy green and red herbs um, or... They're actually bath salts, so they're probably. I wouldn't advise ingesting them. To they probably won't make you healthy if you ingest them. But the scent of herbs, apparently, they are uh, whatever, whatever exactly that means. I don't know. Um, you, small pack about there are you know about five US dollars a pack um, from the Japanese uh, Capcom store. Unlikely. This is the kind of like novelty item that probably won't come worldwide. You can probably get worldwide shipping though. And, you know, somebody let us know. What does the green and red herb uh, bath salt smell like? And does something special happen if you mix them together? <laughs> I just want to see someone buy them know. and then analyze them and then say, ah, so the green and red herbs are canonically this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A way of scientifically breaking down what they are. Yeah, uh, it feels so, like they saw Etsy and uh, ro rolled with the stuff that people put on there, and that's not a dig. You know, you're right, it's a real cool novelty item. I, I would love like a little green and red herb kind of uh, thing. I think it's cool. Steve buried the lead here because not only are there bath salts, uh, sorry, uh, green herb. There's a a perfume collection, mm -hmm. a Resident Evil perfume collection. Whatever, that's funny. Whatever that means. Musk of Redfield. What does, <laughs> what does Leon S. Kennedy smell like? No idea. There are some things I don't want to know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I think it's neat that they do those little tchotchkes. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's you know, why not? Like, there's, there's certain sort of marketing things and tie-ins that you expect. Um, so fair play to Capcom for always just trying new weird stuff. It gets us talking. You know, we're talking about it right now. So it's, it's worth a giggle. So, uh, yeah, well done to them for, for yet another... <laughs> Okay, that's weird, but kind of cool. <laughs> All right, let's move right along to the main subject of this podcast, which is Resident Evil 3, the board game. And now, 
reading the file Jill's Diary from Resident Evil 3 Nemesis in character as Jill Valentine, Latina Otaku, who you can follow on Twitter at Latina Otaku. August 7th. Two weeks have passed since that day. My wounds have been healed, but I just can't forget it. For most people, it's history now, but for me, whenever I close my eyes, it all comes back clearly. Zombies eating people's flesh, and the screams of my teammates dying. No, the wounds in my heart are not healed yet. August 13th. Chris has been causing a lot of trouble recently. What's with him? He seldom talks to the other police members and is constantly irritated. The other day, he punched Elran of the boys' crime department just for accidentally splashing Chris's face with coffee. I immediately stopped Chris, but when he saw me, he just gave me a wink and walked away. I wonder what happened to him. Alright, it is the uh, the long-awaited episode, I would say. Um, the board games is something that's very near and dear to us. Uh, so it's very excited to sort of cover Resident Evil 3, the board game, uh, as it draws close to its retail release, which was recently revealed to be October 2021. Um, but I think everyone who backed on Kickstarter now should have all of their stuff, or very close to getting every last piece as well, all the way around the world. Uh, it was a huge success. Uh, 7,000 and a half backers or so uh, pledging £865,000 uh, to to push the Kickstarter. Yeah, to a pretty huge success following on top of Resident Evil 2, the board game, which we've talked about. Um, as I say, the board games have been important to us because it kind of, without First Aid Spray, uh, well, sorry, without the board games, First Aid Spray doesn't exist. Uh, Sherwin was on episode one of First Aid Spray. We all met via the board game community. So it, the link has been very tied there, but I'm very aware that there'll be people that are listening to this that aren't super clued up on the board game. So I invite you to sort of and listen and, and do do a Google and, and research for yourself if you're curious. And of course, there'll be people that are listening to this that are uh, from the board game community that don't necessarily check out First Days Pro content. So hello, welcome. We will be answering uh, community questions from the Resident Evil board game Facebook community uh, but before we get to that, uh, Sherwin, I feel like we have sort of touched on this story before, or, or last time we spoke, I think it was kind of a non-story, but how did Resident Evil 3, the board game, sort of come to be on your end? Did it, it just kind of was there one day, or, or, or how did that come to be? Well, see, I can talk about this in light of other things now. Um, ah, so... That's why it was a non-story. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a non-story at the time. So, obviously, we've all, we've spoken several times before about how we came to do Resident Evil 2. And uh, in the aftermath of the Resident Evil 2 campaign, um, we knew that we were making another Resident Evil uh, because we had so much fun making it um, because I probably would have fought blood and... Uh, I probably would have fought yeah, tooth and nail to make sure we made another one anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think... You know, I, Again, Steamforge, everybody at Steamforge, we all love super fun projects and everything else. And and this was something where Locks and Matt especially both were very excited about making another Resident Evil game. So it was always a given. Uh, What we didn't know is whether we were going to make Resident Evil or just Resident Evil. I was about to say Resident Evil 1, but it's not Resident Evil 1, is it? It's Resident Evil or Resident Evil 3. And so I started developing both at the same time simultaneously, which was a bit of a headache. (laughs) 
I can imagine. Uh, and then at some point, we kind of we course corrected onto Resident Evil Three, uh, and the biggest reason for that was that we had um, we basically had an idea that well, there's a remake of Resident Evil Three coming. Right. Uh, Capcom told us about this. Uh, at this point, it kind of seemed like a logical one to do because everyone was talking about it. And it was something where, okay, we can definitely sort of, you know, we can easily fit this in. And it was a case of looking at a lot of the mechanics we, I'd come up with for RE1. No, I'll just call it RE1 because it's easier. Uh, so we're coming up with RE1 and then RE3 and working out which ones would best sort of suit this particular engine and so on. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, yeah, in terms of introducing micro adjustments to the survival horror engine of RE2 to kind of improve the experience or smooth the edges and also introduce new gameplay because one thing I didn't want to do is suddenly drop a whole bunch of new stuff on it and then overcomplicate the experience. And yeah, that's that's really the story of how we came to do it. It's as simple as at some point there was a clutch conversation of we can't keep going on developing both at the same time. Which one do you want to which one do you want to focus on? And it was the remake that tipped it over the edge. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. Um yeah. You know, and to that end, I think, you know, most people are aware of what's next. Uh, if you backed the Kickstarter, most people uh, received a little flyer to tell you what's coming next. So I'm going to assume that obviously <clears throat> the success of RE3 has been uh, enough to, to warrant continue going further. And there's been sort of good feelings at Steamforge and with Capcom as well. You know, what's, what's it like at Steamforge headquarters now that this is all fulfilled? Everyone very happy with the finished product? Super, super happy. Um, I mean, there's some amazing stuff happening in terms of the community reaction to RE3. Simply amazing. Yeah. Uh, like, we've gone to the Book End Geek site or whatever, and, and the score is going up, which is always encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's kind of a couple of uh, teething problems the game has had for whatever reason, which maybe we'll get on to. But the point is, is that overall, the experience seems to have so captured... Um, everything that we wanted it to and everything the community expects from a Resident Evil game and also now starts to understand what the tabletop entities are as more of a actual property as well. Right. It's really something where we're just... The game seems to be smashing it out of the park with everybody, which is of immense relief. Like, I cannot even begin to describe. <laughs> but at the same time, it's something where, yeah, it's, it's just really... Like, I think everybody involved in the project... The nicest thing about working on any game is the point where, and I can only talk about this from a design development perspective and graphic design to a lesser extent, but but is when you actually get a physical copy of the game and you take the lid off and you actually start to look at this thing that you've created and it's no longer these kind of bits of paper that you put in a magic, a sleeve of a magic card in there to sort of hide the back <laughs> of it or whatever mm-hmm. and a bunch of proxy models from whatever game you were playing most recently. Um, and you actually got dice where you haven't kind of just scribbled on them or whatever else. <laughs> when you actually physically start having something, that's when it becomes really, really exciting, really interesting. There was a thing of, um, I remember lots ages and ages ago now when the first production copies of RE2 came in. And I remember being like a child in a candy store when I opened up the box. And I think Lox took a picture of it and put it in the Facebook group of me just opening the first ever copy of Resident Evil 2 and grinning like an idiot. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was... It's amazing. 
Excellent. Basically. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, you know, and, and you've sort of set us up nicely to sort of talk about our own sort of reactions to it. We'll circle back around to the Q&A, but I just wanted to sort of, uh, you know, let the three of us sort of talk about our reaction to sort of our deliveries um, and our expectation because, you know, eagle-eyed people who've got the game will be aware that all three of us play tested it in some form. Um, so we've mm-hmm. been aware of this for a long time and we've had a similar thing as well, you know, playing with, as you said, proxy models and stuff. And it, But actually getting the game um, coming from people who started off as simply fans of the RE2 uh, board game and, and the campaign and the community uh, getting this sort of like, like a brand new lease on life. You know, the community was doing well, but to have a whole new game to dive into and one that's, I don't quite know how to quantify just how much it's blown everything up several levels. Like, it builds so much on everything uh, from RE2. Uh, so, Berger, what's your sort of general overview of the gameplay of RE3, sort of how it improves on RE2? What's the standout favorite things for you? I, what are your experiences uh, like? I have been literally bouncing my chair because I want to talk about how much I love this game. <laughs> um I, I have so much fun every time I get to play it. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Resident Evil 2. Um, and one of my one of my favorite like I, one of my favorite convention memories was teaching people how to play Resident Evil 2 at Gen Con just mm-hmm. because A, it's such an easy game to play to begin with. Um, and B, people who play it are I, A, interested in dungeon crawling games and uh, on its face, it's one of the best. Um, and then people who like who are playing this and they're like, ah, oh, I played this level before. You know, think, talking back to their experience with the uh, the video game, mm. and um, I was we were talking about this before the show, but just to, to to encapsulate how much I like how much fun this game was is I had a couple friends over on Saturday, and they're like one of them's a big Resident Evil video game fan, never played the board game. The other one's a big board game fan, never played the video game. Awesome. <laughs> and um, we like dialed in. They were able to pick up the rules really quick. We're all board game, we're all games people, so we were able to just like pick it up, and everybody figured it out, and. Like it's it's a table where you're enraptured at it the whole time because there's always something happening that you want to see. Um, so like it's just, and it's just the point where it's like like I'm finishing up my turn. My buddy Drew is reaching in like ready to ready to go. Right. Um, and epic moments happen where uh, you know Jill gets her final escape or not the the dodge move that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, every time he's like there's like that like they that move felt really satisfying to get. Um, Mikhail being able to like take a sock to the dome from the nemesis and and take only takes one damage um like it's it's exciting um yeah it there's a i i love i love the new character abilities in comparison to an upgrade to um resident evil 2 uh i like the aesthetic of the new dice I, i think that was a solid improvement the um the one one of the things i've always loved and appreciated about steamforged is uh I feel like they've always been really great at receiving community feedback in terms of models and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I opened the models and was very impressed. Uh, and this is going back to um, just my experience with Guild Ball as well. I would buy the like the first plastic set and they were nice. I liked them. I still have them. I painted them. Uh, but then the second wave came out and they were much they were much tighter. Like it, it um, right. And then this is just like another step. These minis look great. Um, absolutely, absolutely yeah. love them. I had a similar uh, sort of thing where. I really like the Resident Evil 2 miniatures. You know, I painted my entire set, had a great time with them. But then you get sort of like another game from the same company. Uh, mm-hmm. You crack it open and you already see the sort of like steps they've taken in later releases. And you think, oh, awesome. This is going to reflect 
Yeah. Resident Evil 3 in this case which I knew was coming later so I'm looking at my Horizon miniatures being like this is excellent the bases are really nice and thick the plastic's a bit sturdier yeah. the card quality is nicer and yeah again all of that mm-hmm. feeds into RE3 so it, it just gets better every time for sure um, I'll admit that I'm struggling a little bit with the game trays I'm totally willing to accept that um, <laughs> I'm like not using it right uh, but I do I did notice that there's some card collapse when I put it on my shelf Um but that's the literally the 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 only thing that's bad about it. like the only thing I don't uh, is is the fact that sometimes my cards fall out of the slot. So fantastic experience, love it. I yeah. could not say more nice things. I could I, actually. We'll, we'll get a chance, definitely. Uh, I really like the game trays. They, I it's nice having everything in one near enough everything in one box. It, it's worked out quite well for me. I know you know different people have had different experiences um, from like a gameplay perspective. The stuff that really stands out to me. So the thing I, one of the things I love most about Resident Evil 2 is like a super nerd for that game, especially was um, you could set up any scenario with whatever tiles you wanted, and I could look at it and tell you where it was in the game because I knew, you know, I know the layout of RE2's maps. You know, I know where every yeah. room of every single map is. Looking at it laid out in tile form, I thought that was really cool. Um, I, Resident Evil 3 doesn't really have that because it's not quite as well suited to that. It's not quite as backtracky. It's not really set in just a couple of locations. It's constantly moving. So it's not important for it to be like that. But right. <clears throat> what that means is that like all of these locations are like expansions on place of the game. You know, like mm-hmm. the press office is much bigger and much more interesting. You got extra parts of the city streets all with their own sort of rules and gimmicks to them. So one is... Yeah really focused on having dogs one's got like the brain suckers that replace the drain demos if you've got the last escape box uh sort of the emphasis on the grave uh, digger and stuff like that um the rpd has a my one of my favorite scenarios in the whole game by the way rpd2 um, really where you're going so around fixing the windows which is a really cool idea uh, stuff like getting to the, the one that I love is getting to the clock tower and actually this time you have to get in rather in the video game where you just crash in now you have to go and find the key that's in sort of like this little shack and that makes me think I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be that person usually I'm the person that makes fun of these people <laughs> where they're like I want this from the remake blah 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 it's like if you want the remake to have more content play the board game because this is what the remake yep this is absolutely. the this is the remake yes. this is the real yes. remake <laughs> expanding expanding on everything in the right ways so yeah i just uh, the scenarios are fantastic and obviously that yeah, so is campaign is so fun like right. yeah, i failed i failed my campaign i'm not mad yeah same i played it i haven't had a chance to play with a group yet unfortunately we played a couple of scenarios but we haven't gone much further that's just life but i just had a lot of fun playing it by myself it's so easy just to keep playing scenarios mm-hmm. because of the campaign map that keeps track of where you are and where you want to go and all these choices and i got as far as uh, the city park and I died and I was okay with it you know I was like cool yeah. you know what that means I can reset try some new characters know, see what happens know differently what different next time yeah right but you know RE2 the board game had a lot of randomness to it and RE3 does too in the right way where it's like oh I'm excited to play again because something completely different could happen I could find this here I could pull I mean the other favorite thing I might as well just put it in there now because I'm talking about it the, my other favorite edition is the narrative deck where mm-hmm. you just step on a certain place and something could happen. You could find a survivor to carry. You could encounter a nemesis with a rocket launcher. And that's obviously different every time you play, which is I'm really excited to see how that deck changes things. Because 
I did make a whole lot of... Uh, I didn't save a whole lot of people in my first run. I really struggled. I was down to Jill and Dario as my saviors right at the end, and uh, they didn't... Well, they didn't save me, so... Uh, hopefully, in my next playthrough, I'll have some luck, maybe get to save some extra characters. Uh, Steve, what are your uh, thoughts on the sort of expanded version of the gameplay in RE3? What, what's getting you the most excited? What's your experience been like? So, to, to dial it back to, like, the uh, the RE2 board game, my favourite expansion for that was the Survival Horror expansion. And mm -hmm. that, in that one, that added uh, lots of extra rules and things you could basically unlock, uh, like, you know, extra characters to play with and uh, ways to affect and change the game as you play. The fact that that is in such a macro level, it's, like, baked heavily into the nature of RE3's, mm. like, uh, makeup. Yeah. I love that. Like, you know, the fact that there is consequences to every action, like, any scenario has multiple, like, well, not everyone, but a lot of them have multiple outcomes, and they obviously have the narrative deck. True. And things can very much affect how the game's going to play. Even failure isn't quite as, I'd say, as brutal, at least at first, in the RE3 game, because, you know, you can just do, have a do-over and up the city uh, the city of ruin crisis level, mm -hmm. right. which uh, potentially gives you a lot of wiggle room, if you know what you're doing. If you're not, you're going to still get battered, but <laughs> it, 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 that fundamentally changes how the game is played because it's not just uh, you know you could play re2 as a campaign like going scenario 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 over and over with your friends and I've, i but it wasn't really i don't feel like it was designed that way it was designed more to be a bit more little and often playing this piece and then this piece and then this piece mm, three yeah. it's a continuity it's your story yeah. it's your legacy mm. and i love that i love the fact that this is basically resident evil's dnd you know, uh, obviously right. the mechanics are tailored to Steamforge's makeup with the whole dodge rolling, landing the hits. But it, uh, the macro level is what really bleeds into me and makes me so excited every time I want to get the game. You know, it, unfortunately, it also has the drawback of trying to get enough people together to play it like a D&D game. So I'm playing it by myself. Mm -hmm. But that, that, that's a Steve problem, you know. Um, <laughs> it, I, I love the fact that there's so much scope to it. Yeah, like because if it, you could potentially rescue a survivor, or you could potentially fight Nemesis, or you could potentially run away, and all these other little things, and it all adds up to how things are going to play out. And I believe there's like so, so many different narrative ending cards you could potentially get uh, yep. from how you do it, yeah, and okay. who survives. So you know, I'm, uh, I'm, pretty... Go I'm on, gonna have, I'm gonna have a hot take about the Resident Evil Three board game. Um, it it does the so the Resident Evil 3's campaign reminds me a whole lot of the campaign system from a game called Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, if you've not heard of it, it's an absolutely ostentatiously expensive board game that's admittedly fun to play, but it's really cost prohibitive. Uh, I think the the campaign system for Resident Evil 3 I think does it better. Um, that's my hot take. That's my hot board game take. Resident Evil 3's board game nerds out there, I expect are going oh, I'm getting something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, a, as an evil nerd who has a, a penchant for playing a few board games, uh, another thing I really like is the non-linearity of it. I mean, the, obviously, the main thrust is to get the parts, but you know, to get the uh, the tram working to get to the clock tower and then escape. But the fact that you can do certain things in certain scenarios to affect other ones and affect your route and how you do it right. uh, is fantastic. You know, I, I mean, that's that's technically part of the original RE three as well. But it's nice having the option in the game itself. Like, right, okay, I've done this, so I can now do commercial two, or I can do RPD one, and it, it's cool. Uh, um, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, a very easy to please person, though. So, unfortunately, my nuances are it's really good, and the models <laughs> look neat, and they actually really do look fantastic. I don't think uh, we can all undersell. Mm -hmm. Like they, they look like they're meant to be. I think Jill has almost all of her costumes. Yep. Uh, 
Sans one that we can't have because Dino Crisis is apparently a dead thing to Capcom. Sadness. Rip. <laughs> I mean, dinosaurs just aren't cool anymore. Yeah. Nah. Okay. Let's not get into that one. <laughs> yeah. I, no, um, oh, sorry. Go back. Go first. I want to comment on the talking about the the campaign structure. I do want to comment on the items. This campaign item deck. Um, I I love it. I I love how it kind of just lets you it lets you travel the game, and um, sometimes you get the lighter as your C item deck. Other times you get something else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost always good, and I find that. Uh, it does again. It doesn't make me mad to restart the game, right? Because uh, right. I, I, you, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. I think we're, yeah. I oh, think okay. what's cool about it is all the, the variation, kind of produces all these different stories and stuff. And it's kind of what Sharon was saying about the reaction and how it just keeps going up and up and up. And what I love is just reading other people's, you know, experiences and stuff. We had a guy not too long ago, um, who. By the just the unfortunate nature of the C deck, um, he left the well. The Magnum was the last card for him to pick up, but he couldn't go and get it. He couldn't physically go and get it, so he had to proceed without the Magnum, which is a no. very very rare chance of that happening. But it it's a situation, you know. And one for me, the first time I drew a go and save this person card, I was in the middle of the RPD. I got whisked away uh, into sort of like the burning room with Nemesis. And Tyrell was in there waiting for me, and I was like, "Sorry, I didn't anticipate this. I don't have any supplies, so I just had to let him die. There was nothing I could do." Stuff like that, you know. And as Steve said, you get those choices where it's like, "Oh, you know, you can you could fight Nemesis, or you can raise the city danger level, which then impacts how deadly the tension deck cards can potentially be, and stuff like that." Uh, Which sounds like an easy sell, doesn't it? You think, right? Okay, I'll fight Nemesis, but then it can wreck you. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, completely. And so, and then the next time it's like, oh well, I'll leave Nemesis. And then you've like you've turned zombies into chimeras or right. not chimeras, you know, drain demons. Because the, 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 the way that the uh, it's like, is it three tiers? I want to say it's three tiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and uh, the the worse it gets, the worse it gets. Like, oh you know, yeah. The monsters. Do, uh, yeah. The, it's, um, uh, it's a big trade off. It's fantastic. Nemesis himself just like yeah. if you go, oh, I'm Man. not, I'm not going to fight him this time. He's going to be way harder next time then. Like it, when he gets into that second sort of bracket of the three, his health jumps up and all this. It's like, oh, okay, this is actually getting way worse. And just the order of doing scenarios as well. Obviously, this time around, as opposed to RE2, we're, just, we're really just gushing now. Um, instead of each scenario <laughs> having its own set sort of items that are in that scenario and its set tension deck, both of those evolve over time with this yeah. oh uh, that's so cool and the, and the tension deck you know if you go to this scenario put these cards in the tension deck and they stay there and then they affect later scenarios potentially so you've got cards where it's like oh if i go and defeat the gravedigger i can take these cards out now or oops i shouldn't have gone there now because now i've got the drain demos spawning card that's going to follow me through most of my campaign because i went there too early and so on and so forth so again it's just like it's just those things where it's like your decisions completely tailors the entire rest of the experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, talking about the tension cards and the improvements to them, uh, how uh, monster special attacks. Wow. Yeah, so good. Whew. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, not, I, I, not, a, not a super fan of uh, some of this. <laughs> like, like the brain sucker special move from getting a bit. Oh, my I goodness. <laughs> Three damage, poison, and assault. I think, like, oh man, 
I, I quit. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> so good. Uh, absolutely love him. Just so it's it's so the it, it adds that it added, that was one of those layers that that it added to the game that um that like a, a slight level of complexity that just like really kind of brought the experience together as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our, our remake to TBG when. <laughs> <laughs> there's a question that's kind of like that actually so we'll get to that yeah. um before we you do know, the I, oh sorry go on steve i, I just want to say it's a shout out to the way they've wrote the rules for these monsters and things because when you think about mm-hmm. it the actually in game okay the difference between a drain demos and a brain sucker is that one can spit poison and one can't whereas mm-hmm. there is a d- definitive threat level increase when you go to mm-hmm. the brain sucker in comparison now yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the same with Nemesis, though, because if you have a squad of four people and weapons, tier one, nine, nine times out of ten, it's almost like that one bit in the first Robocop film where they're shooting, you know, Alex Murphy apart. But, uh, uh, Alex Murphy, sorry. But when you get to, like, tier two and, and then tier three, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the, the table has turned and now he's kicking you. Well, words I can't say on a podcast. Teeth down your throat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I should yeah, have earlier. I'm really excited to play this with uh, with people, but... It, I mean, it was just such a joy. Just like because it's a completely cooperative game, there is no problem playing this by yourself at all. As we've all pointed out, you know, um, got through most of a complete. Well, I did get through the core box and some of the City of Ruin expansion just by myself, and just had a great time. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to sort of share that experience now with people um, and my painted models, of course, as well. Um, yeah. Which brings me to design. Before we get to the Q and A, um, just have a quick waffle. What do we think of the way that it looks? Obviously, as I said, it's just a case of being a later game. We've got all these improvements. The card stock is better. The miniature quality uh, is better. Um, the artwork's fantastically gruesome. And, of course, the big one, the as you said, Steamforge, listening to fans, the tiles in this game are just chef's kiss, magnifique. I love them. I just could oh stare God. at them forever. The city street stuff with the cop cars strewn around. Just love them. <laughs> I, have, I have replaced all my Resident Evil 2 tiles. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty fair to be fair. <laughs> I get that yeah. completely. Um, I mean, there was nothing particularly wrong for me with the RE2 ones, but I know no. which ones I'm going to be dipping they, into. They're just better, yeah. yeah. You're just not going to use the old ones anymore. Uh, and I think that's okay. Um, I I played a lot of it, and they were looking like they were feeling a little worn anyway. So mm. it's like, every with this one coming out, and then with Remake coming out, every two years, Steamforge is just going to refresh my Resident Evil tiles for me. <laughs> Steve, any thoughts on design? Uh, honestly, uh, pretty consistent. I uh, The fact that they mesh up pretty well with RE2 is obviously mm. a fantastic thing, including the touched-up tiles. I'd imagine if, if you are homebrew enough, you could build some kind of labyrinthine, complex version of Raccoon City if you have enough tiles. <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, pretty good. I, I, I'm a big fan of the models. Like uh, I've already stated, I can't, you know, the, the, uh, the likenesses are so strong. Uh, mm. It's impressive. The only thing, if they, if they had that level of um, less smoothness and more jaggy, so they could be a bit more PS1 modelly, I think I'd be <laughs> uh, be at home. Otherwise, yeah, no, I have no complaints. There is one. I don't know. I think people have already talked about it. The, my main gripe with the R3 the board game aesthetically is simply the fact that the City of Ruin board. Um, I, I feel like it could be a bit thicker. Um, yeah. That's without, fair. Without touching nerves, I don't want to touch nerves. But yeah, I, yeah. I'll actually just jump back into the room now. So first thing, as after the post gush moment, is you guys all liked it then? That's cool. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> I know. Okay. And the second one is, I take down board that. 
as we've mentioned a couple of times during this episode, like we're not deaf to the voices of people who kind of want to you know, raise bits and pieces and talk about their experiences and so on. And that's definitely a conversation with what we've had. Um, mm. So, I mean, it's there's, there's not much to add to that beyond to sort of stress. I can appreciate why people who, you know, perhaps disappointed with that component. And I can appreciate, in the same way that I could appreciate people saying about the dark tiles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, certainly, there's no element of kind of denying something where people are unhappy with it because ultimately it is not a case of being wrong or right or kind of or you know someone you're touching nerves or whatever else if that's someone's opinion they're completely valid to it and if that's where they're coming from there's no way we should try and invalidate that by going oh well you just need to take better care of your stuff or whatever else that's a valid perfectly valid piece of feedback Mm -hmm. that we're not left to um that we've listened to so all right. Well, mechanically, it's fantastic. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, sure. I cannot gush enough about the the whole concept of the city of Ruinboard and how yeah. it all works out. Absolutely love it. It's so cool. August fifteenth, midnight. Chris, who's been on leave of absence for a vacation, called me. So I visited his apartment, and as soon as I walked into his room. He showed me a couple of pieces of paper. They were part of a virus research report entitled as simply as G. Then Chris told me that the nightmare still continues. He went on to say that it's not over yet. And ever since that day, he's been fighting all by himself, without rest, without even telling me. August 24th. Chris left the town today to go to Europe. Barry told me that he would send his family to Canada, and then he would follow Chris. I decided to remain in Raccoon City for a while, because I know that the research facility in this city will be very important to the entire case. In a month or so, I'll be joining with them somewhere in Europe. That's when my real battle begins. All right, let's do the Q&A then. Let's uh, let's roll into uh, a bunch of questions. Uh, from the community Uh, thank you to everyone uh, who asked questions Um, I've taken what we can and we will give you shout out as we go through these so I'll start off with a question from uh, Mike Booth who asked Sherwin uh, what did you learn from Resident Evil 2 the board game that helped shape Resident Evil 3 the board game the most so I guess the logical I mean we've talked a lot about the small interactions um, and the bits and pieces we've kind of upgraded and so on and I won't necessarily touch too much on kind of the design in terms of the um, like artwork decisions and stuff like that because um, there's lots of little bits and pieces like for example something that you talked about earlier Michael was about the um, talked about with the, the bullets uh, not the bullets the, uh, the dice mm-hmm. and kind of gunshots for example I, I noticed that there were a whole bunch of people saying Right, so if I roll two single hits, I can combine them to a double hit, right? And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, that's obviously not the way that works, but I can 100% see why that is, because it's the same thing. So straight away, we kind of went, right, so we need a new double hit symbol. Mm. Because that way, as soon as you change that symbol to like, you know, yep. a bullet or whatever else you want to do, it completely yeah, takes that away. Absolutely. And makes it much cleaner. Um, I think the biggest thing that influenced a lot of... If I'm looking for the single biggest thing, were two. First one is is a survey I put out, a questionnaire on the fa- in the Facebook group, um, a little while after RE2 had come out, um, a few months, and I kind of said to everybody, "How do you play RE? How do you play 
re2 the board game you know do you play standalone mode do you play campaign or do you play a mixture of both and the answers i got back on that were were staggering because when matt and i first talked uh, sat down to start designing re2 we kind of had in our heads okay so this is a game where it's going to be like a 90 minute experience um you know you have like a single tile in the middle and then you basically have some tiles you put around the edges and enemies move in and start attacking stuff and that's matt's original vision for it and even had a dm um and then i kind of started looking like no i think it needs to build out into a different idea i think it needs to have lots of different tiles that go down and it builds out and I even got like an old pictures of somewhere of an old tile. In fact, I cut up, which is basically I built the entire man. I built the entire police station in tiles and went right. So this is what this could look like. How long does it take to play? Which, by the way, is about three hours. <laughs> um, so, and at that point, obviously, started breaking it down a bit. But one of the biggest things that we worked out is we still kind of focused on that. Well, we think people are going to play this. As Steve says, little and often, we think people are going to play like a game here, a game there, or whatever else, and we just want to give them different snapshots of where you are in the game. So then when I put out the questionnaire, because I noticed a lot of people were talking about campaign mode, because we didn't want to preclude that either. So that's a mode in there. And said, so how do people play it? And like, the results were staggering. Like, literally, I think something crazy, like 4% of people play RE2 as a standalone experience. <laughs> like, literally 4%. And of the remaining people... I think it was something like six, seven percent of people play it as a combination of the two because sometimes they do demos for people, which they count as standalone. Mm. So when yeah. you're looking at it, so basically, eighty-nine percent of the people out there play this game as as a campaign. Yeah, okay. Well, then RE3 needs to focus a lot more on the campaign. <laughs> and as soon as that happened, it unlocks so much cool stuff that we can start thinking about and start doing. It's the honest thing. I looked at it and went, right. Well, suddenly that means. How about we make it so the attention deck evolves? How about we make it so that yeah, you can explore around and you do different bits and pieces? How about we make it so that you need to find items in one scenario and take them to others or whatever else? How about we make it so that you, know, we, you can fail a scenario and that doesn't mean game over for the whole campaign? Lots of different ideas like that. How are we going to carry over items between stuff and balance the game built around there? Loads of different stuff suddenly just got unlocked in a massive way. And that's honestly the biggest thing. The other one is... Um, in terms of more direct learning, was the enemy special attacks. Again, we touched on it earlier. One of the things that I think RE2 doesn't do very well is the enemy special attacks. They're only unlocked via the Vigor Mortis card, um, and it was something where they kind of come into effect. Every so often a zombie will do a suicide lunge, or the liquor will do like the diving slash, where it sort of does a whole bunch of damage to you or whatever. But it's too conditional. So for a start, there needs to be you need to draw the card. Secondly, then there needs to be one of these enemies that actually has a special attack in, in the same tile as you. And thirdly, it needs to be in range to actually do the special attack. And combination of those three things basically meant special attacks just were seldom used. And it yeah. wasn't until I was kind of trying to think of a better way to emulate that. And weirdly enough, Hunters is what made me think about it. Because I was thinking about the RE1 Hunters in terms of, what can they do? Well, they have a slash, they have a jump at you and lunge at you and kind of pin you down and kill you if you haven't got a defense item. And then they've got like the sort of, you know, the decapitation swipe. And I'm thinking, how do I how do I build this thing so I don't want to have a behavior deck for all of our enemies because that would suck if every time you have a whole bunch of behavior decks. I want to have something which feels quick to reference but mm. gives these enemies a different way of moving around and attacking and doing stuff than simply they just have a range one attack that does one damage every time. And that's when I kind of landed on an idea of making a, a system where we have... Um, 
as you guys know, with where you have like obviously the different entries for what's the tension deck card. What's what does that show? That's introducing the randomness to it. The players can kind of predict and work around, and we at that point we can kind of build around. That's how you build in different actions for these enemies in a relatively straightforward way. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I learned was trying to level up enemy behavior mm. because it wasn't quite right for RE2. So our next question comes from Gareth Hughes. And they ask, which game element did you find hardest to design and balance while creating Resident Evil 3? Uh, Nemesis is a bit of a doozy. Build <laughs> 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 such an iconically massive character. Um, how do you how do you build Nemesis into a game in a way that doesn't completely break it? As in Nemesis turns up and is so invincible that it that basically just destroys the entire thing and takes all the suspension out because as soon as Nemesis is there, you are basically going to get killed. Um, how do we build this thing around and try to kind of balance Nemesis in the way that it's appealing, hey, we could go kill Nemesis. Like We could actually go and defeat Nemesis here. We've got a chance to do it. You almost want to have something where at any given stage it's tantalizingly close to, oh, we could do this. Are we sure that's the right idea? And like, you can almost see players sitting around the table kind of working their head, I could do this, actually. I feel kind of ballsy. I feel like I can kind of go for this. And that's where you know you've got it right. Because I've, a lot of the early designs of Nemesis is, oh, Nemesis is here, just run away. Or, hey, yep. Nemesis is here, complete walkover. Because the other thing you're building is the fact that you could encounter Nemesis at any given time randomly because it's a narrative card or because you're doing the scenarios in your own order. You could, if you wanted to, leave you know leave the very first part where you encounter Nemesis right until the end of the game. You know, you, if you're lucky to draw the right lock cards and so on, you can actually skip like the sort of early scenario. You can leave one of them till very very late on, <laughs> and then breathe through it because obviously you've got much better weaponry now, or at least have a much easier ride because you're not suddenly kind of there's best, less enemies there, and you're kind of um, nowhere near so poorly equipped as what you could start off with. Um, yeah, it's a nice short scenario for you to heal up or whatever. So that was probably the most difficult thing I think to challenge. Um, that or trying to find how to make the sliding worms work, because <laughs> those are enemies which really don't. That's like have the reverse reason. <laughs> yeah, they don't really have much in the game, and it's trying to make them feel distinctive. Hmm. Uh, our next question uh, is uh, not from anybody. I think it might Did be from you... me. <laughs> oh, Sai is from uh, Sai from First Aid Spray asked the following question: Is that? Do you want to read your question? No, Sai? you go for it. Did you struggle at all with making any of the characters feel appropriate to their video game counterparts, especially since Ty Murphy and Tyrell, Murphy, Tyrell, and Dario, etc., get so little screen time? You know, I love making characters Ferrari. Because I know enough, I'm fortunate enough to know enough about the game and enough about the backstory of it and everything else that I can really leverage that knowledge into the game, into the characters. Mm. And like, here's a bit of it. So here's a bit of an insider thing. When we first were working on RE2, we weren't sure of the scope of what we wanted to achieve with it, and we weren't sure we were going to get to make another RE game afterwards. So one of the things I immediately, in a slightly fanboyish but very pragmatic way set down and went right so we need stretch goals and stuff cool let's design all of the stars characters 
let's design all of the UCBS, uh, sorry, UBCS characters. Yeah. Let's design Dario. Let's do Marvin. Let's do everybody because that way I've got this huge pool of characters. And if we suddenly need to pivot and throw these characters in as a stretch goal or whatever else, then we got them. Yeah. And as a result, kind of, there's a whole bank of different character abilities that I kind of had to pull from when looking at RE3 characters. Like, hey, cool. Stars guys didn't look at you yet. What can we yoik over from here and put into like yeah you know, some of these other characters? <laughs> if I don't feel like Carlos, for example, really fits in, or I don't feel like Murphy did, or whatever else. However, the most complicated, most challenging character to ever work and design in all of RE history for board game history is Jill Valentine. Mm. Because how do you make Jill Valentine feel particularly different to everybody else? Mm. Unless, well, outside of giving her inventory size eight, that's right. that's without a doubt. It's like a really key, crucial character that everyone loves quite rightly, yeah, and and really wants to play and thinks is amazing. How do you make Jill feel super special but not overpowered? And how do you make him. Jill feel? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sure. I was going to say, how do you make Jill feel really characterful? Because what you're really running with is it's, much like Chris, kind of a character that you put a lot of yourself into. And yeah. I'm running around doing this and I'm doing that and I'm making decisions and so on. Like, Jill, you have a master of unlocking thing, but ultimately that comes down to Jill has a lockpick. So it's really thinking about some of that stuff. And especially was because Jill's had kind of, you know, quite a lot of different story developments that... Uh, story arc stuff which is quite often contradictory or kind of goes off in random directions and stuff mm. so it's really trying to pull what is the key identities of this character in and that's not always clear with Jill yeah um, so long time fan Brian Sharkey asks um, but the improvements of RE3 over RE2 I'm sorry the improvements of RE3 over RE2 are just awesome such as the handling of universal weapons an evolving tension deck enemy attacks linked to the tension cards character reserve ball, countless other tweaks that focus on a cohesive campaign experience, a major call out to the fantastic tile artwork as well. Would you ever want to revisit RE2 with a second edition that would bring many of these improvements to that game? 100%. I'd love to go revisit re revisit RE2 and put some bits and pieces in. Whether I will or not is the interesting question. Uh, I mean, I could see an RE2 upgrade pack. I could see uh, an RE um, like a flat out second edition of re2 i mean but these are all very hypothetical mm -hmm. um yeah there's a there's other stuff that i'm working on at the moment which kind of goes with that and as we've said like re2 is not a game that needs any of this stuff per se it's more so much these would just be very much things which we could introduce and make a, a new version of and kind of you know and really push it to the next level but at the same time you know that there's other games that are kind of we're working on or i'm working on that mm -hmm kind of have a lot of that stuff built in so it's a case of finding the bandwidth and the and the uh, and the desire for it cool. anonymous uh, are asking um which characters or enemies have had the biggest changes during development uh really good question sliding worms uh went through several <laughs> changes several 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 changes um i mean into, I'm, I'm working to the assumption this is not so much which enemies, for example, were in RE2 and then went into RE3 and changed as we went through, but I think right. sliding worms took a bit of time to kind of get right. Um, 
Weirdly, dogs the, the special ability for the dogs did, but only in trying to find the right wording uh, for what they could actually do um, in terms of how their uh, their special rule worked. Um, otherwise, I think the, the big shout, the obvious shout out character wise, has got to be um, has got to be uh, probably Nikolai to a certain extent, Nikolai and Mikhail, both of whom I actually changed post Kickstarter um, mm. because. Nikolai just didn't feel quite sinister enough um, and wanted it to be a character where there's obvious bits where you play as Nikolai and it's like, even though I'm technically a good guy right now, like, I'm yeah. not really a good guy. Like, I'm kind of doing my own thing and you just happen to be there with me. Um, so that's kind of a sense. But I, at the same time, wanted to do that in a way that was beneficial for the party. Like, no one wants to play that, like... That evil character that is running around and just has really douchebaggy abilities. It wants to be something where you can do this and it makes life better, but it also makes things a little bit worse. Um, so that, and Mikhail, who simply put, and I, I, I feel kind of harsh to the character for it, but felt a bit underwhelming. If you guys who have played the original demo that we had on um, Ferrari Three, Mikhail kind of how he was playing really wasn't was like the worst choice of the original four. Yeah, and things. One of the things I wanted to address post Resident Evil Three Kickstarter. First thing was fire, uh, which was more lethal than anything else in the game. And then secondly was something where I was like, okay, well Mikhail needs a boost, and fire is too powerful. So how about Mikhail can I can like put those two things together to fix that element, and also kind of get rid of that slightly odd conditional we had where he made him better if he's really near death, but you don't ever want to be near death. So right. It's kind of counterproductive. To follow up on that, which changes from Resident Evil 2 to Resident Evil 3 were you most proud of? I mean, bearing in mind a whole, a whole bunch of it is, is new, uh, so I don't think that's necessarily a change as such, but I'm very I'm very proud of the uh, of the special attack system. I think that really yeah. I think that really worked in a nice way that kind of pulled together all of the different enemies um, and sort of made them feel, you know, a step beyond what they should be or before they were before yeah it does sort of um in a weird way tie them into the gameplay further because they are attached to stuff like the tension deck now and and how that reacts so it does yeah ties everything nicely um maxine bouchard says this is a great adaption did you feel that sometimes being true to the source material was a hindrance to the board game gameplay never once um I mean, RE3 is... There's so many parts of RE... You kind of hit it on this earlier on. There's so many parts of RE3 where it's around the next corner that you don't quite see in the in the video game that we could really lean into for the mm -hmm. board game. Um, the biggest thing, for example, and it's unfortunate, actually, this is something where... Um, this is something where it, it's slightly unfortunate in the sense that Capcom, for reasons I don't actually really truly properly understand... We kind of wanted to explore the different floors of the hospital um, because you can kind of, you know, if you think about the RE3 board game, you kind of go, okay, I'm on ground floor and then I go straight up to third floor or I go to basement three or whatever else. We wanted to explore some of the other bits and pieces um, and kind of build them more like a, more of a series of wards and other bits and pieces like that. But we kind of, you know, Capcom for whatever reason said we'd like you to kind of limit that down quite a lot more. So. I have no idea there, but but that's the only one. Like we had lots of capacity to kind of explore different bits and pieces, um, and and really do with different ideas and stuff, which was always fun. If there is one thing that I do, I was a little bit limited about, and this won't be anything as a big surprise to anybody. It was 
shame we couldn't get beginning of the end. It, yeah. It's a real shame beginning of the end couldn't quite be because that, as much as it was obviously my baby that I was talking about very much, felt like real, like a really powerful piece of fan service that I think everyone would have definitely enjoyed. And it's a shame that we couldn't quite get that to work. I, I'll admit I've thought about the potential uh, like mechanics of a mission like that more than once, and I too am sad for what, what could have been. <laughs> so I want to point out um, specifically for one thing, beginning of the end, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Showen, do you just want to quickly sum up what that idea was? Yeah, sure. So beginning of the end was an expansion which I threw together in the very early days of thinking about RE3. Um, and it would have been a bit like, um, I guess the best way of describing it is a bit like a RE 1.5 um, mm. for for RE 3. And basically, you would have played as the UCBS Mer- oh, yeah, UBTS uh, mercenaries uh, when they first land in the city and kind of done a couple of different scenarios um, that that you kind of run around, you run around and explore um, at the very t- at the start of the outbreak. And at the same time, also play as a bunch of um, kind of named RPD officers um, in the in the RPD building during the siege. And the way you unlock these scenarios is you find notes as you explore the actual game, which are like flashbacks. They take you back to that particular thing. The next scenario you play is a flashback scenario. And depending on how well you do, you may now introduce new cards into the thing. Like, let's say, for example, like, you know, you do really, really well in the siege in one of the RPD sieges. Well, that means if you're in the RPD next time you go there, there'll be less zombies and there'll be barricades up or something or other, or mm-hmm. you'll find ammo stashes somewhere. If you do really badly, there's a lot more zombies out there. And you could even potentially meet one of those those characters that's been eaten and is obviously there. And if you're, you know, the UBCS, then, you know, potentially there's areas where there's barely any zombies because they've killed them all or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it was something where we could use that to sort of really go back. And it would have been a very nice thing to kind of explore some of the notes, uh, some of the stuff that's introduced in RE3 in terms of, you know, you kind of find mercenary diaries or you find right. kind of, you know, David Ford's nuts notes and stuff like that and and those things kind of really tying them together to make it feel like this is a living breathing thing that kind mm. of nods off to those the reason uh, that i say that is just because i remember and this is just sort of like uh, a demonstration of how passionate about the project that you were and about that idea as well i remember we i think funnily enough it was the resident evil 1.5 episode but we were recording a podcast and then immediately afterwards you were like and i drag you guys, since you're under NDA already, can I drag you into a call? And you were like excitedly explaining this and we were all talking about the potential of it. I just remember that very vividly, uh, this fantastic idea that you were like, well, how about this? How would, how do you think people would react to this? Do you think people would be interested in the idea? It's a shame that it didn't happen, but it's just a very fond memory of you being like, I have a great idea. <laughs> uh, when, when we were at Gen Con and uh, we had the dinner the night before and Sherwin sat down next to me at dinner and like... So he's waiting for me. He goes, so, what do you think about an open-world board game? <laughs> I think it sounds amazing. And then he could just, like, that was my that was my fond memory about hearing about this for the first time as well. <laughs> he's just so right, excited I'll, to talk about it. I'll make a point of dragging you all off for another random NDA call after this episode. <laughs> this film. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm hearing, Sherwin, is that you, you put just a little bit of thought into how that whole thing could have gone down, and it's a <laughs> we weren't able to do it. Uh, you know, it's it's fine. Like as with anything, I've never worked on a single project where something hasn't worked for one reason or another, and I'm not going. Okay, that's this is not the project for it. We can put it somewhere else. All right. Yeah. 
Awesome. What I love about this Q&A is that we can sometimes answer questions before we get to them. In this particular case, uh, what rule, scenario, board section, weapon, tension card, or any other thing did you really want to include in Resident Evil 3, the board game, but you had to cut it for some reason or other, Liam Thompson asks. Oh, uh, that, I, I, so, <laughs> I think that, the that. the end, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean what, what else did we cut that I really would have liked? Um... It would have been nice to uh, to have got uh, what was she? What was the thing? Was it Sasprin, uh, lady? <laughs> the Ac- nice yeah, yeah. Aquacure Aqu- girl, whatever it is. Aquacure yeah. Aqu- girl. There you go. Uh, that would have been quite fun to put in. I was I was really I trying hard to make that the next moth campaign. I, I, didn't take I had a conversation with Capcom on the last day of the Kickstarter about whether we could add that during the pledge manager, and the answer was no. <laughs> I really pushed for that for you. I appreciate that. Um. Which uh, scenario are you most proud of design-wise? Uh, I'm going to go with the same one as I mentioned earlier. I love the RPD2 Siege. Yeah, uh, That's just so much fun. Um, I think that one... I mean, I know Fraser's got his ones. I also... Yeah, Fraser certainly built some of the ones. I love the uh, the, the scenario he built, which was the... Um, uh, it's Hospital 3, where you're destroying the tiles as you run away from them. Uh, that's mm. also a lot of fun. Mm. Um, so that's cool. Uh, I like um, the hospital ones. I quite enjoyed as a rule of thumb. Though they were they were generally very interesting to put together and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my least favorite one, purely because it's not, which isn't necessarily the question, but the, my least favorite is uh, City Pop Three. Uh, that was a headache to try and make, just kind of feel quite characterful to the right. park, and I'm not sure we quite hit that one right. It's not to say it's a bad scenario. It just feels like it's lacking a touch of character uh, compared to all of the others. But there we are. The one thing, well, one of the best things about RPD2, by the way, is just the fact that it has one particular tension deck card that's only in that scenario, which is genius and evil, as the best things sometimes are both, where it's something like uh, if you draw the card, you basically roll the dice uh, for every A item on the board or something like that, it's it's ransacked and you basically just have to clear off a certain number of items to imply that all the supplies have been taken by the cops that were fighting off the zombie horde in there, which I think is, yeah, as you said, it's all like in terms of characterful stuff, that was right up there for me. It just made me go, wow, I actually, yeah, this feels really like this event. Um, so Resident Evil 3, the board game balances differently depending on the number of players you got. Uh, you know, you can play with, you can play with any number of characters. Obviously, ideally two or four is the best way, potentially. Uh, when you're designing a scenario and everything that goes into that, sort of like the map size, the tension deck, what's on the encounter table, do you create it with two players in mind or four players in mind first? Three. Um, always three. <laughs> Interesting. Um, <laughs> three is, three is, my, is my safe spot for designing stuff uh, because that gives you a nice middle ground that you can then look at and go, okay, so I've, ah. you know, so this scenario did this. You know, if we had fourth character, how many extra tension cards would we lose? If we had second character, how many extra zombies would we not be able to deal with? Um, and that's then you balance it around that. Hmm, uh, that, that makes sense. That, that's my. It's worth pointing out that's my take, which is very much design elements. Mm-hmm. So when you get into playtesting, I imagine Fraser would give you a very different answer mm-hmm. um, because obviously at that point there's more involved testing at different numbers and so on. But from my de- my early design point, three. Interesting. Mm. So, 
Uh, regular Discord member Greenman, also known as Phil, asks, <laughs> with the game now in the hands of most backers, there's been plenty of feedback. Is there anything you'd like to change about Resident Evil 3, the board game, if you were to do it again? Besides the obvious of, like, a dozen Barry miniatures. Hmm. Uh, there always needs to be more Barry. Always needs to be more Barry. <laughs> I think Barry needs to be more powerful in the game, uh, not broken anymore. <laughs> and when he's um, not around, all the other characters should be asking, where's Barry? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I think my my favourite part about about Barry is that in all of the... in all of the uh, This is definitely uh, going off subject. I will come back to the question, don't worry. My favourite Barry part is that with all of the other rescue cards, it's, oh, no, you you see a silhouette, you run over to help them, or, you know, you kind of get a radio <laughs> call. It's Dario saying, please come save me. Barry saves you. Yep. He kills yep. all the zombies on your tile and then turns up and is kind of very much kind of, what the hell? And that sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> welcome to Barry, Bill. Um, no, I think... Um, Hmm. I mean, there's a few things. Like, I the biggest thing that is a is a headache is honestly, I I always kick myself for anything that's like a typo or anything else, right? Because sure. you're always going to have something that you miss. So taking, I mean, that that's the biggest thing. If I have a regret about RE, it's uh, RE three, and it's um it's not necessarily the uh, the terrain pack, which kind of confused things a bit into it. The one that the one that haunts me and annoys me is the um. Is the third floor clock tower tile, which I desperately love to uh, be a two. Well, it should be two by two, and it's such an easy thing uh, that got missed. And it's it's a super easy fix. It's not anything that requires you to do anything other than choose a two by two instead, because it's literally a tile on its own. But it just bugs me. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, Sherwin, a uh, question from Ferdinand Vanderhaak. Uh, hi, Sherwin. I'm really enjoying Resident Evil 3, the board game. I think I liked my first playthrough better than my first RE2, the board game playthrough. And that game was a blast. Can't wait for the next installment. In RE2, the board game, there was a nice Easter egg. And, and, a nice Easter egg. In the retro pack, <laughs> the 50th card was a secret photo of Rebecca that Albert Wesker had in his desk. Are there any Easter eggs in the RE3 board game that people haven't noticed yet? Yeah, you should look at the artwork on the tiles. And you There's can a few see that. pieces dotted yep. in there. Absolutely. Um, people necessarily haven't talked about, haven't looked at. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, otherwise, people are generally very eagle-eyed these days, mm. uh, and are bits and pieces. And unfortunately, we don't have anything quite as much fun as obviously the new recruit card. Um, but yeah, it's uh, RE3 doesn't lend itself to that too much because we obviously. Excuse me. We broke to uh, we broke to, terrible English. We broke away from um, you know kind of a few different bits of canon and so on. Mm. But yeah, that's probably the biggest thing I'll say. Two words: Burger Kong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when I asked uh, everyone for questions, generally speaking, obviously we were looking at sort of design questions and history questions and stuff like that, how the game came to be and how it uh, came to be made. Um, but there was one gameplay question that came up a few times that a few people have been asking. Uh, so I thought I would include it for fun. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Uh, Andre Kapushin asked, how do flame rounds work? Uh, so flame rounds, uh, there's an errata coming that clarifies those guys. But uh, <laughs> basically, a flame rounds, uh, the fire icon, which is sadly missing, uh, after you make a flame round attack, uh, if you hit the enemy, um, after you've done that, you put the fire token in their square. Right. So a lot of people assumed it was that, so they assumed correctly. 
Yeah, and uh, and just to be super clear, that fire token remains for the rest of the scenario. Do not shoot enemies indoors. <laughs> uh, very, 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 very key thing you should not be doing. If you're in a corridor, don't use a flame rod. It's bad. That's Unless fine. you're across the fire, in which case you just yeah, that's like a bath bomb to you, so you really don't care. <laughs> he grabbed his greener bath salts. Exactly. Oh, grim. <laughs> <laughs> so our next question from Brendan Morrissey. During playtesting, were there any amusing slash game breaking exploits or issues that creative players discovered? Uh very, very early on, and this is actually an RE two one. Uh, which was quite entertaining, uh, which I don't think I've ever said to anybody. Uh, one of our uh, one of our guys, Ed, uh, was very fond of opening item boxes and using typewriters through walls, <laughs> because you have to do an adjacent uh, tile, but we didn't specify through a wall or need line of sight to see the uh, to it. So as a result, he would like, I'm just going to use that typewriter from the opposite side. There's no reason why I couldn't use it from there. I'm just going to do it to bug you. Uh, and just, <laughs> just necessarily work. Um, so that was a thing. Um, I think that's that's the biggest one. There's a really interesting one actually, which which people get tripped up by, um, and it kind of became a it kind of became the way the rule worked. But Jill's reposition ability originally was supposed to trigger off of her making evade rolls, not making attacks. Uh, the reason it is the way it is is because it's quite complicated when you get attacked. Um, to resolve versus making an attack is more straightforward and it also gives her an interesting tactical switch where she can just run towards an enemy, power it a couple of times with a gun and then mm. dodge past, uh, which is quite useful. Um, but the reason it is that way is because our original playtesters uh, our QA, internal QA playtesters um, misread the way the rule works and played it that way and it's one of those mo light bulb moments where we looked at it and went ah, you've accidentally created a speedrunner way of playing this, which is kind of cool. So perhaps we should leave it this way. Hmm. I think it makes more sense as well because obviously when I think of that move it it's the the dodge that you've got in the game which is actually done by the right trigger right so the attack button yeah. so it, it actually it made complete sense to me I do have one quick one from uh, doing the play testing that I remember um, was that the rules for fire hadn't been quite specified yet so we had encounters where we were spawning fire um, and there was no spawn points uh, so we basically had to choose. Well, the, the small—I should say—the spawn points were occupied either by an enemy already. So uh, at that point, you didn't roll for fire either. If you just stepped into it, you took damage. Same with enemies. Uh, so you would just drop fire <laughs> on a zombie and instantly kill it. Or alternatively, you would have to drop it in your own square, um, and that was something that had to be changed. I remember that. Um, yeah, fire, fire was one. Fire was one where I remember there was a. Uh, I think it was. I can't remember what scenario I played, but I remember playing it post Kickstarter and going, "Fire is just too powerful. Like it needs <laughs> to go down." And there was one thing that needed to be fixed with a sort of patch post Kickstarter. That was it. Mm. Um, I don't. I haven't looked at Advanced Mikhail's card, so this may have a bit. But did he end up with the grenade drop ability where he hurts everything in the tile with him? Yeah, he does. Nice. Uh, I actually, um, that wasn't originally powerful enough, and then I, I apologize to Fraser. He probably has noticed it by now. He went with a very sober, very sensible, and very measured thing of, oh, it does like five damage to everything. I'm like, no, I'll make it ten. So I literally just messaged like the graphic designer was like, on the eleventh hour, went, make that number ten. Don't tell anyone, just make it ten. So it's super, super powerful. Yeah. And at that point, because most things are going to get killed by five damage anyway, right? right. So right. just just put a really crazy bonkers number down for the sun just for the fun of it. Uh, I was the one I remember seeing and was like, man, that's so strong. 
Uh, yeah, up to 255 damage. <laughs> With yeah. uh, the following question. Painting the through, this is from me. Painting through the models has been an absolute delight. Is actually mini painting something that you think about during the design process? Uh, I don't think about it whatsoever, but the sculpting team 100% does. Um, so the sculpting team, uh, one of the things that, one of the things that, uh, Matt, so my boss, Matt Hart, he, he's an absolutely astonishing, uh, miniatures painter. If anyone wants to see an example of how sickeningly good he, or well, he can paint a model in no time at all, go check out any one of the different, um, videos he's done of like, uh, painting a thunder drawer or whatever else mm. in sake of, in space of an hour, I've seen this guy paint models that would win competitions. It, yeah. it, it makes me sad. But um, um, but sorry. So I'm gonna gush about Sherwin's boss for a second. He's the he taught like watching. I watched him stream with. Uh, he was painting a God's Year mini on on using contrast paints. Completely changed my entire like thought about them. Matt's a fantastic painter. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that all of our miniatures, whether they be Resident Evil, God tier. Yeah, old Gilbert models. Yeah, even Horizon to a lesser extent because we use the actual um, models that Gorilla have in game for that. But all of our models are always designed and built with painters in mind. Like, how are you going to get to that particular part of the model? You know, mm -hmm. like if there's like a small, I don't know, like a small pouch, like don't put it so possibly in, you know, tucked into their into the, their fold of their clothing that it's going to be a pain to get to. Make clean areas where you can paint and like the dynamicism of the model moves around or whatever. You know, like. It doesn't break the dynamics in the model and doesn't make it bulky in the wrong places. But keep the fluidity of the model's movement. Like, you know, make them so they've got strong, bold, purposeful kind of things. Yeah, you know, how does that break out? And also look at them in terms of what's going to capture the paint right, what's going to give the painter the most fun, you know, layering this on or make it really work. It's one of the biggest focus our sculpting team has. Uh, Russ and Matt are definitely the people who spearhead that. So, um, so yeah. But from a design perspective, obviously... I get a little bit of input on that. I mean, anything that comes even vaguely into the office related to Resident Evil, they kind of just shuffle onto my desk and go like, Sherman, can you tell us if this is good or not? <laughs> it's like, yes, I, I can do this. Yeah, I want to do a quick shout out in that general direction to whoever's idea it was to make one of the Barry miniatures inspired by his Revelations 2 look. Because, of course, RE3 Barry... Fantastic. Yeah, RE3 Barry, you see sort of the back of his neck and that's about it. So it's not really much to build a miniature of. And... You know, we've got two Barry miniatures, one for advanced and one for regular Barry. As great as, you know, Star's uniform Barry is, it's nice to have the variation. I have to say, out of ev I haven't painted everything yet, uh, but out of everything, I think uh, that Revelations 2 star Barry was one of the most fun ones, that I, the most enjoyable ones I had, just because it was, I mean, it was it was nice to freshen things up, to, to, to paint something from a different game as well, and to be like, oh, it's cool look at it sitting in there with all the rest of them all the re3 stuff and it, it fits right in it was really cool just a just a unique way to go with it yeah I th that was one of the most challenging models to have to work out how to make barry look mm -hmm. um you know we were faced with we can go round and round and round in circles trying to make you know something which we just have to guess at and we what we, what we really wanted to avoid was this looks like the stars uniform but just you know because ultimately yeah. It's a stars uniform, but he's got a yellow jacket instead. Like you can't mm -hmm. represent that very well. Um, so, so yeah, that was a good that was a good compromise that Capcom really liked. So it's mm -hmm. all good. Cool. Uh, so our final question actually comes from multiple people. Hayden Cartwright and also Lee Smith both asked uh, in in slightly different words, but nonetheless the same question. Um, when you designed 
Resident Evil 3, the board game, how much influence did you take from Resident Evil 3 Remake, if any, versus the original game? And would you have liked to include, have to have included more stuff from the remake? I hadn't actually played Resident Evil 3 Remake until <laughs> three months after I finished work on RE3 Wargame. I didn't want to go anywhere near it. Um, that makes sense. Because my sole focus was to make sure that it was based on the Resident Evil 3 that I knew and loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and thought I'd experience the remake in its own way um, after that. If there is one thing I could have put in it from RE3, I would put in something about birds and uh, being on oh, trains. Right, I got you. Took me a second. Uh, he, said, he said not swearing. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I would put. I would put. I'd put in stuff like that. I will say, my absolute favorite. Like, it's no. It's no surprise to anybody who's listening. I've said this before. Nikolai is absolutely if I, I mean I'm I'm a Barry guy all the way, but Nikolai is a very close second. I love me some Nikolai. And he is astonishingly fun in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish I could have perhaps put in a couple of lines from there. Like I'd love to have a he's not after me uh, line, <laughs> but there we are. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, well that uh, that wraps up the question portion. Thank you to everyone for sending in their questions and thank you for showing for taking your time to answer those since we got you here and we got the community engaged is there any final words or thoughts for uh, for the resident evil board game community i will quickly say um there is one question i saw in the comment which is about the doors uh whether they're coming to retail or not okay. i don't know the answer to that question uh, that is something that i know our commercial directors had a look at a few times because those things yeah, you can say what you want about Steamforged, and people occasionally do, but we have the best doors in the business. That's a weird one, I know, but everyone loves our doors. I've never seen a single complaint about those things, um, and they turn up in all sorts of games. So uh, there might well be one that comes to retail, but I couldn't tell you uh, for yes or no, for sure. I am so excited for your Birdsong train, you don't even know. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, more, that's, that's going to be something else. More plastic crack for me, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, sadly, yeah, just on that, the Bardsung Express, that game has just got bigger and bigger and bigger in a very scary way. I mean, obviously, you guys are all good if you backed it because, you know, it's not gone up in price. Your postman will hate you uh, for trying <laughs> to deliver it because it's a big box. This is going to have the biggest box of any poor game I've ever seen. Just trying to fit everything in. But um, anyway, uh, this is a Resident Evil podcast. Were there any other questions? I think that's it. So unless you've... Uh... Got anything else you want to tease or any final or final thoughts for the community? No, final thoughts, certainly. Um, I just want to say thank you. Um, you guys are amazing. Um, I I started making... I, I remember very, very, very clearly Matt telling me that I would get to work on Resident Evil and I remember being a massive fan and of the series and wasting God knows how many hours playing RE2 and RE3. I also see RE1 as well, but I really threw myself to RE2 and RE3, and I have a lot of very fond memories of playing those games. And um, I remember really, really, really losing myself in those. And then when I got the opportunity to make a, when I got the opportunity to make a video game, uh, sorry, make a board game of the video game, it was just, you know, a complete head, you know, mind blown kind of moment. Um, and getting to work on Resident Evil games has been the most fun. It really has. Like it's been the most fun I've ever had doing anything ever, with zero exceptions. And there's a whole bunch of stories I could bore you with about kind of meeting some fairly amazing people who've kind of 
talked about how much they love the game or kind of some really strange things like the director of the like one of my most favorite things i've i've ever had from re2 was the director from the original re2 video game has a copy of my board game um and put and tweeted it and it's like yeah, yeah mind blown on that sort of stuff mm. and i think um stuff like that is i mean I will, I will comically say i'm not sure he knows exactly what it is but he's got it um but the point <laughs> is, is it's like look at it's going this is weird but um but no it, it's stuff like that is cool but honestly the most amazing thing without shade of a doubt is the community like, i had no idea that such an amazing community would come out of us making this game i mean i had no i knew people were passionate about things i knew people really kind of applied themselves to re but i had no idea so many people would come to really know and love the re tabletop series as much as they do and be such nice cool people i didn't i must admit i didn't know it was possible to have such a healthy and non-toxic tabletop community as what exists for mm. re mm. and it is without a doubt and i don't say this because i'm gushing i say this because it's simply true it is without a doubt the best board game community i have ever been a part of and ever seen and i am continually blown away and humbled like you would not believe by just how amazingly awesome all of every single one of the people out there who play our games are like such amazingly nice people so welcoming and they invest so much in themselves in the games it's yeah you guys are the heroes yeah i completely agree with that and you know obviously bit of bit of a bias as someone that runs that facebook group but I can compare it to so many other groups that are either, as showing sort of rightly said, toxic or just quiet, you know? <laughs> Whereas hey. our group is very engaged. There are, I've seen people, and obviously been part of people, you know, making friends groups that have continued beyond their love of this board game. I know people that are, you know, close friends now because of the board game community and obviously part of one of those uh, friendships and situations and stuff like that as well so and on top of that just the stuff that people make and the homebrew stuff that people are doing you know the remake design cards come to mind and someone you know building their entire rpd to scale to fit the miniatures in and stuff like that uh we haven't had too many issues with with people you know we've been around several years now we've only really had to kick a few people that were uh, were just basically there to troll and stuff like that uh so yes i echo that 100 uh, percent. it's it's a I, wonderful community and, and everyone who's interested in the board, resident evil board game should join it link in the description i mean it's I, uh, like anyone has a query there's no like you know oh you're stupid you don't know right. this. and then yeah. it's just like no, uh, so you need to do this, this, and this, or you've got show in the comments going, oh, this yeah, is correct. Just, yeah. If it turns out, <laughs> oh, yeah, you just do this. And then, uh, he'll, just, yeah. he'll just like the, the correct one sometimes. <laughs> um, no, uh, I want to I wanna go ahead and advocate that it's not just that community, but like it spawned multiple communities because like the you know, first aid spray spawned mm -hmm. because of that. And that's, I would say it's kind of it's an independent community because I know not everybody who's in chat right now is here because they're big fans of the board game. Um, right, totally. As yeah, I said at the beginning, you know, we, we would not exist without the board game community, really. And it kind of was the springboard for us to sort of head in this direction and, and cover everything. And of course, it's been nice to sort of give back and sort of do stuff with the board game, with Steam Forged and, you know, Burger specifically doing itchy painty now. It feels like kind of coming full circle, having a, a show where we paint the Resident Evil 3 board game miniatures on Twitch. 
so yeah, it's 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 kind of nice. It would be amazing if we can for the obviously first eight guys out there, um, or FazPod, whatever our appropriate abbreviation is these <laughs> days. It'd be amazing if when I can't commit to this, but if there happens to be a demo for another Kickstarter coming up, it'd be amazing if a few of us can get together and have some like stream playthrough or not necessarily stream playthrough, but playthroughs where we can all chat and stuff while we're playing it. That'd be really cool. Here's hoping, right? Here's hoping. Well, thank you, Sherwin. Thank you again, everyone, for sending in questions. Uh, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. Join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community. Discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server, as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and more at fasprayPod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review where you can. It helps spread the word. You can also support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash Pod for as little as $1 a month. In our next episode, it's our first day, but that's okay because we'll work it out and we'll be a government agent before too long. Yes, indeed, we return to the Profile series to take a long look at every appearance of one Leon Scott Kennedy. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB. Steve was taken. Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda and Michael is at It's Burger Time. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm literally, I'm literally just typing that. Yeah, thank you, everyone. I, You guys set off my imposter syndrome like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's literally, I can just hear a siren in my head. It's like the place is about to explode or something. Um, yeah. Oh, it's Kill Bill. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm thinking more like Countdown <laughs> to Explode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Richard sure, Whiteley's yeah. ghost appears behind Sherwin. I wasn't aware that he's dead, but okay. Spoilers for real life. Spoilers for Richard Whiteley. I'm going to ask who Richard Whiteley is. Yeah, sorry, we got the British TV chat. Before I get out there, don't don't bother to Google it. It won't be very exciting. Yeah, it's not that great. But does Discord have a GIF? <laughs> uh.